I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, thanks for having me on again, Kev. I'm Steve McGookin, and I'm a former chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. Hi, um, I'm Richard Burns. Uh, I am a Manchester City fan and a member of the Blue Moon podcast, which is a dedicated Manchester City podcast. And it's, a, it's great to be on for the first time in a long, long time. Yeah, you were absent for a little while. You had a, a little affair of a, of a wedding to attend to, but we're glad to finally have you back. And congratulations once more, Steve. Always a pleasure to have you on as well. Unfortunately, though, Richard, we have to start by talking about Manchester City. Uh, the loss yesterday makes it now 14 points between you and Liverpool at the top of the table. What do you think has kind of caused this dip, if you will? And and what would it take to get back into title contending form, if not this season, beyond? Well, <laughs> the first point and the sort of the obvious point to jump to is uh, the injury to em- Emmerich Laporte that he got against Brighton uh, on August 31st, which already seems a lifetime ago. And he's such an important defender and such a good defender um, that, you know, any team would miss such a pivotal player. And there's no doubt that City have um, have really, really missed him. But it's not just because he's missing. It's the knock-on impact that it's had. Plus, it highlights uh, how... Well, poor, I suppose I would have to say, how poor City's transfer business was in the summer. So that's not to say that the signings they did make were uh, were not good ones. Rodri is looking like a very good signing. Um, he's far from perfect, but he's still got a lot of settling in to do. And what we have seen from him uh, suggests that he'll settle in fine um, once he's got a bit more used to the Premier League. Um, but they didn't sign a centre-back. They didn't sign a centre-back knowing that Vincent Company had left, um, which was not just losing a defender, but it was losing the leader of the club, uh, you know, from a, a playing perspective. It, was, uh, it, it meant that it was leaving us with three recognised centre-backs. And one of those is Nicholas Otamendi, who was absolutely fantastic in our 100-point season, but has shown clear, clear signs of regression since then. And he is the wrong side of 30, which obviously doesn't rule out that um, a player can still be useful. Um, But he's not getting any younger, so you would sort of want maybe a younger player to come in um, to be sort of filling his shoes anyway. Uh, John Stones, who personally uh, I'm still mostly a fan of, but it would be fair to say that for most people, the jury's still out on him. Um, and certainly in the last two seasons where City have been absolutely phenomenal, 
John Stones has not played much at the back end of the season. Um, and it's sort of well known that one of the doubts about him amongst City's coaching staff is how he reacts to adversity. And so when he's good, he's really, really good. Uh, but when he makes a mistake, it, it can let him affect him. Um, and then Laporte is the is the best and I suppose senior centre back. Um, it was always a risk knowing that if we took an injury, we'd be light in that department. And we ended up taking two because after Laporte's injury, Stones also missed a few weeks. What that has done is it has forced Pep to put Fernandinho at centre-back. And the talk now is that Fernandinho has accepted that he's played his last game in midfield, which uh, I'm always wary of saying stuff like this because who on earth am I to question the football mind of Pep Guardiola? But even so, um, that seems like a a serious blind spot to me because although it's true that with Fernandinho in midfield, we're left with two centre-backs whose form fluctuates um, at best. In Otamendi's case, it, it, it tends to be pretty consistent these days and, and not for good reason. Um, it, it, it's great to have Fernandinho who, to be honest, most of the time he plays, he is our best centre-back, but we lose what he offers in midfield. So the defence is always exposed. Um, particularly Rodri was injured as well and that means that Gundogan is playing in a really deep midfield position and Gundogan's a very very good footballer but in that City team he does not have a niche he's not a great defensive midfielder he's not a great attacking midfielder and City already have those things so he doesn't have an obvious role and when he's forced to play it I mean Pep absolutely loves him Um, when he's forced to play consistently in a role that doesn't necessarily fit what should be his niche in the team. It, the team doesn't really prosper from that, if that makes sense. Um, and so, personally, I think that there's a blind spot for Pep here where he needs to start to acknowledge that actually having Fernandinho protecting the defence and stopping them facing these balls over the top that are catching City out time and time again, it would be better to have Fernandinho screening that rather than have the balls coming over the top because there isn't a capable player in midfield to stop that happening and leaving Fernandinho and um, Stones or Otamendi to deal with it because it just puts so much pressure on the back line that we're not coping with at the moment. Um, We lose what Laporte offers on the left side of defence in terms of leadership. I think that's a real big problem when you see Angelino because his performances um, are really, really poor. Uh, Yesterday, I mean, he... I don't want to be rude about the guy because there was no lack of effort, but he was playing like he'd won a competition to be there. Um, and, and to be honest, maybe a competition that he'd finished quite far down and somehow ended up winning by default anyway. I don't know. He, he was he was not good. It seemed with, with every single United attack, he seemed to be giving them more space. Um, and we were just dreadfully exposed. Um, and then add on to that, that we look relatively blunt going forward. And I, I say that knowing that We've still scored a decent amount of goals, although that is inflated by the 8-0 win that we had over Watford. Um, But in in recent games, there's a really clear pattern that teams sitting deep against us, um, they do a really good job of blunting what City have to to offer going forward. The possession's still all there, but there's far less threat of an end product. Uh, and, And you can see that pattern settling in really quite early in games now. And the best plan B that we have is to start banging balls in from out wide to our very, very small attacking players. And that's because we are always waiting on the second ball. And you know that once we start doing that, 
you know that that's when the team has started to accept that they, they can't beat the defensive block. And it's just so at odds with the last two seasons that you have to sort of say, we've been worked out a little bit now. Um, and I think you asked what needs to happen to correct this for next season. Well, we need clearly another centre-back. We probably need um, somebody else who can play the defensive midfield role because at the moment it's not clear whether Fernandinho will even be here next season. He's out of contract. Um, Rodri can't do that on his own. Uh, we, I think we need to start using this opportunity now because the title's gone. I mean, that's unquestionable. There's, there's, there's no route back into a title race now. Um, so we need to start using this to give the likes of Manu Garcia and Phil Foden a chance in the first team. And that doesn't mean they need to start every week or that we need to write the whole season off. But they do need to get used to playing more football in the first team, I think. Um, and we're going to need, I think, a new striker next season because... Aguero is showing signs of slowing down and um, obviously he's injured at the moment. And at any rate, a slowing down Aguero is still better than most strikers in the world. But we know that the season after next, he's almost certainly going to be gone. So we, we need to start that transition now for replacing him. And it won't be a like-for-like replacement because like-for-like changes for Aguero aren't out there because he's such a unique striker. Um, and Gabriel Jesus, I like him, but he is he's still young but he's always been in his time at city he's always been a very patchy striker and we need a bit more consistency than that um so i think i think there's a lot of changes required the good thing is it's quite exciting because you know pep hasn't suddenly become a a bad manager overnight or I don't think he's suddenly lost his touch or anything like that but I do think we're paying for a couple of transfer windows where we've only made two key signings we're really still playing with the squad that got 100 points two seasons ago and you look at that compared to what Liverpool are doing incredibly sort of fresh they've made really good transfers um, yeah there's a, there's a lot that needs to be done but if we accept now that the title's gone because it has um, it's actually quite exciting to think the pressure's off. Let's look forward to next season by implementing some changes now. Yeah, pretty comprehensive from Richard there. But see from the outside looking in, what's been your take on, on City and their struggles this season? I, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, titles aren't won in December. Uh, and uh, But to be fair, uh, it, it looks like it is Liverpool's to lose at the moment. I mean, certainly the form that they're in at the moment and the way in which... Uh, Klopp has the entire squad, even the peripheral players, sort of ticking and, and blending, you know, pretty much just right. It's it's hard to see how City are going to come back uh, to that. But but as I say, I mean, you know, anything is possible. And um, it, it, I think another interesting dynamic, and we'll come on to talk about it, I'm sure, in a little bit, is is how Leicester fits into the mix uh, there, and what if, if City's ambition now is to you know, in the first instance, catch Leicester and then and then build from that. You can only beat the teams that are in front of you and you can only take it one game at a time and sort of you know, try and claw it back. But, uh, you know, titles aren't aren't won in, in December. But, um, you know, I do, I do think I'm, we're, I was, somebody just said to me, we're, we're recording this tonight on, on uh, December the 8th. And uh, I, you can imagine a lot of people in Liverpool are uh, imagine, imagine the title 
imagine the title tonight. So, um, but I, Richard, I, I'm curious. I mean, does this, does this mean now that uh, by default that that Pep is going to be prioritising the Champions League? Well, um, just before I answer that, um, I, just because I think I, I sort of should have said this really, um, and I'm glad that you've prompted me to. The reason that I think the title is gone is not because. I think the points gap is too big that it could never, ever be caught up because three of the four titles that I've been lucky enough to see City win have come from seemingly impossible positions. The difference this year is we're against a team, we're facing a team that have lost one league game in over 50 and now we need them to lose five in 20-odd. They haven't lost at Anfield since April 2017 and it's not even just that. City will drop a lot more points yet because... it's in the performances rather than the the points gap that I fear it. And whilst I, I agree titles aren't won in December, um, I do think that they can be lost. And that's why I think that this one's a, a, a big step too far for City because there is more defeats in this team yet. Um, then to answer your question, um, I'm always a little bit sceptical about the idea of prioritising one competition over another. I think you can see it clearly when it comes to April, if you're still in the quarterfinals and you've got um, you know, two league games surrounding two Champions League, um, important Champions League games. I can see where you have to rest your biggest players in the competition that you think less of, um, or the competition that isn't the biggest priority. But I think it's too early to be having that conversation because we've already won our group. We've got a complete dead rubber game on, on Tuesday against Dynamo Kiev um, that, you know, to all intents and purposes, doesn't mean anything at all. Uh, and then we don't have to worry about it again until February. So I would be concerned if squad selections are made before April that have the Champions League in mind. Um, I would always hope for good resource management to, um, know it's a bit of a, overly clinical phase but I would always hope that we would guard against players burning out and God knows at least in the attacking positions we've got the the squad to largely do that with even with Aguero's injury if we need to rest Jesus um, I think that Raheem Sterling's future probably lies in a more central position I think that's the development that he's making so now's a good time to start trying that out I think and giving the odd game in a more central striking you know traditional sort of striker's role um, I, I guess, yeah, come throwing forward, come April, if we're still in the Champions League and assuming that the, the gap in the Premier League is still significant, which I'm, I'm absolutely certain that it will be, then, yeah, the, the Champions League games will take priority. Um, but at the moment, I, I don't think that's something that, um, that we should be thinking about or that, that Pep needs to be thinking about. I think um, he's a he'll still be desperate to win every game. And actually, the Premier League has to be a key focus because we don't want to... You know, it's one thing losing to, to a great team and, and make no mistake about it, this Liverpool team are fantastic. They're, they're going to break records this season. There's a good chance that they will um, that they will beat our 100-point record. And I, I don't think... I wouldn't even go so far as to say it's unlikely at this point that they'll do a season unbeaten. I think there's a, a reasonable chance at that because... Every, they've just got everything going for them um, in a way that not many teams ever have. Um, but we still have to try and mount a... We still have to do the best job of keeping on their coattails as we can. We don't want to just give the league up. Um, 
there's a a difference between accepting that something's unlikely and just just giving it up and, and sort of phoning it in, um, which I realise isn't what you were suggesting City would do. But to me, that's sort of what it means when you start prioritising stuff in December. Um, so, yeah, short answer is not yet, but we'll probably prioritise in April. But long answer is I'm not a big believer in prioritising one competition over another anyway when you've got a squad that's good enough to... Um, to be honest, it should be good enough to do the business in both competitions. Interesting stuff for sure. Uh, as we kind of continue our uh, topics being related to the guests that are on, uh, Steve, I'm sure you'd be delighted to talk about Sun Hyung Min, who scored an excellent solo goal yesterday, has been do- doing stuff like that for a while, of course, and just picked up his third Asian Player of the Year trophy. Is it time to start considering Sun as world class? Oh, absolutely. I think that's, that's absolutely right. And and yesterday was certainly the best goal I think he's ever scored for us. Uh, and there was that Chelsea one, though. Oof. But both, both of them were amazing. It's a, it's a nice problem to have, choosing between goals like that. <laughs> um, but I, I felt sorry for Harry Kane yesterday because he, he scored two fantastic goals. I mean, that first one was a worldie in and of itself. And yet nobody wanted to talk about it. Everybody just wanted to talk about Sonny. Um, as far as being... Uh, called world-class. I mean, I, I, I think Son was in the process of becoming a world-class player when he was at Leverkusen. Uh, admittedly, they had a, a disappointing um, World Cup in 2014 before he joined us, but um, you know, I, I think he's just getting better, and, and he can only get better now uh, under Jose and the way Jose's going to use him. Jose, Jose, sorry, excuse me. And the way Jose's going to use him um, uh, in combination with Harry and Deli Ali, he's certainly one of the best wingers in the world. Um, if, if there's a downside, um, it's, it's probably still that he takes the shot on uh, more than he should. But when it comes off, uh, it's, it's more than spectacular. There's, there's certainly um, a huge um, benefit to him playing alongside uh, Harry the way that, that and especially if Harry's playing in a, in a slightly deeper role, which he seems to be doing at the moment, um, and using Son on the, on the wings. Um, the more space he gets, the more he can humiliate you. So I, I think, I think he is, and it's hard if you look at City, you look at Liverpool, you look at the top three, you know, the, the, their front three. Uh, would he get into either of those threes? Um, he, he would, he might get into the City three. I, I don't think he would get into the, the Liverpool three the way the way things are currently constituted. Um, but. Uh, he certainly uh, he's world class in terms that he could walk into any of the uh, any of the small universe of, of elite clubs uh, anywhere in the world. So uh, definitely, he's always been a uh, an elite player for me, and he just continues to get better and better. So yesterday was just indicative of the skill that the man has. Yeah, um, I I really really like him. I think he's a, an absolutely fantastic footballer and. Um, I don't know that there's a whole lot I can add to what Steve's already said, um, but from that sort of outside looking in, he's he's a joy to watch. You know, he, he plays. This is a very unscientific way of answering the question about is he world class, but um, he plays football in a way that I think just makes you happy to watch. He plays football. It's a he plays in the right spirit for the most part. Um, he's. He, <laughs> He's, you know, he's a very sort of honest player. Um, is extremely 
extremely talented and I think for a long time has been somewhat underrated. I said, no, everybody knows that he's high quality, but he's never really in those conversations about the world's top footballers, I don't think. But when you see that goal this weekend, it's absolutely magnificent. He's got buckets and buckets of skill. Um, he's so sort of <laughs> enthusiastic about just being on the pitch and wanting to play and wanting to work hard for his team. Um, and yeah, I think if, I don't know that I necessarily would have used the words, the words world-class um, because that is such a, you know, you try and apply that only to the really, really elite players. But then when I ask myself which team, what, what team in the world wouldn't want him, what team in the world wouldn't be able to make use of him, um, and, and what team in the world wouldn't he be a regular starter? Um, I can't think of many. And so I guess that does tip the balance. So I'd say that I, I was, I'm starting to think of him as in that top level and as a world-class player. Um, and regardless, he's one of my favourite players in the Premier League. Is um, Like I say, he's a, a joy to watch. And uh, obviously you guys will know that better than me because you'll see him more regularly than me. But um, yeah. Uh, I, I would say that I'm starting to, to see that he is world-class. Yeah, world-class, I do realize, is a bit of an arbitrary distinction, but that's why I wanted to bring it up, is, is I feel like he's, if he's not there already, he's getting there very quickly. And I agree, there are some teams that maybe he doesn't always start for, but as you mentioned there, Richard, pretty much every team would want him. Um, his usage at any one of those places may have been a little bit different. But uh, anyway, Sun is just a fantastic footballer. And I think he was kind of hidden for a while while everybody was excited about, you know, Kane and Delhi and Erickson and the defense. Um, but over this last, you know, all of 2019 that hasn't gone particularly well for Tottenham, <laughs> Champions League aside, I feel like Sun has been one of the most consistently good players in the team and, and has really been a driving force when we've lacked that. I think... Also, Kev, there's there's another thing to bear in mind is when you talk about somebody being world class, it's kind of difficult when there's a pressure there that when when you're uh, like the highest profile player on your national team that you really don't have any competition from within your own national team um, that there's a little bit more of an added sort of weight on your shoulders to uh, um, to represent that that country in a way. So you know maybe maybe. The, the whole concept of how you describe someone as world-class is, is different. Yeah, absolutely fair. Uh, kind of going from a, a player that we like and uh, obviously as an opponent for uh, Richard, which he probably has nightmares about uh, that Champions League match, but uh, now we're <laughs> going to talk about, about an opposing player that you've been most impressed by this season. We'll start with you, Steve. Well, uh, I, we mentioned earlier in the, uh, in the start about... Uh, Leicester being in the in the mix for the uh, the title uh, or certainly within that sort of top three competition at the moment, uh, and I'm going to go for uh, the the reborn Jamie Vardy, uh, 32 years old, and certainly Brenton Rodgers seems to be getting the most out of him at the moment, and and also Northern Ireland's own Johnny Evans, who 31 years old and and certainly seems to be the anchor uh, behind that uh, that Leicester defence at the moment, and then certainly. You know, organizing the team around one of those players at the back, one of them up front, has paid just tremendous dividends for uh, for Rodgers and uh, and for Leicester. I mean, 
you know, Vardy scored two more goals today, which is, you know, just uh, an amazing run. Leicester on nine wins in a row now. And, and, uh, and I think in all nine of those games, they've scored more than one goal. So they don't, they don't win uh, by, you know, they just, they don't eke out wins. Um, so I, I've been very impl- impressed with, uh, with both of them so far this season. If they can stay healthy, then that takes Leicester through into that, uh, that, that discussion about um, the, the final stages of the season as well. Uh, in, in terms of other players that, that uh, have particularly impressed me, it's actually two players who I was impressed with last season who I continue to be impressed with. Uh, Juan Bissaka at Manchester United, I think, uh, is settling into that that right back spot there, and uh, and I think he will turn out to be uh, a better buy, a better close season buy than than Harry Maguire, uh, to be honest with you. Um, and also uh, another player that impresses me uh, every time I see him is Ruben Neves at Wolves, uh, and I think he he only he has a huge upside and can only get better and better as uh, as things go on and. Obviously, uh, Nuno is getting is getting the best out of him at the moment as well. So, um, you know, as I say, it's not anybody who sort of co- uh, you know joined the league this year or who has come through, but but somebody, a couple of players that uh, that you all always knew were good were good players and good valuable additions to your squad. But um, but it's uh, it's good to see them doing well this year. Um, yeah, annoyingly that rather steals my answer because uh, the one that jumped to my mind was Jamie Vardy um, because it's remarkable that he just keeps going and going. Um, again, a player who not exactly at the um, the early stage of his career, is he? And he, he's, if anything, he's getting better. It's incredible in a really, really good team and a really likeable team. Uh, the fact that he's closing in on his own record for uh, consecutive Premier League games scored in, uh, it'd be... I hope he does it. I mean, it's probably still unlikely, but um, I'd love him to do that. Uh, if I select somebody different, though, just so we've not both just said the same person, um, I've been really impressed from by what I've seen. I'm not going to say I've seen sort of week in, week out, but really impressed by what I've seen of uh, Tammy Abraham because it wasn't necessarily obvious that he was going to have a good season. Um, and you could argue that had Chelsea had other options, uh, i.e. had they been able to go into the transfer market, Abraham wouldn't have been the first choice striker. Um, they, they might have sought to buy in a more established striker and spend a bit of money, but they couldn't do that. And it forced Lampard's hand, and he's, he's doing it uh, in the main, a really, really good job with those young players. But Abraham... His first couple of games, he got quite a lot of stick because he wasn't playing fantastic. I think the game at Old Trafford when they got beat 4-0 on the opening day wasn't great. Um, but he's really, really hit form and he's scoring goals fairly consistently. Um, I think they're quite weighted, if I remember rightly, they're quite weighted that most of his goals come away from home, but that's um, that's a pretty solid foundation to be working on anyway. Um and he's got a good range of finishes, of finishing about him. He, he seems to score quite a few different type of goals. And, you know, he, he, although he was a highly rated young player, some of his loan moves, he's not looked fantastic or he's not set the world alight um, or not necessarily looked like he was going to make it as a Premier League striker. But he's really, really blossoming in that Chelsea team. Um, and... It's nice to see. It's obviously good for uh, for England to have 
another young striker coming through. Um, and yeah, I've been I've been impressed with Lampard's management of that situation um, because Chelsea weren't, I think, generally weren't expected to do a whole lot at the start of the season because of the transfer embargo. Um, but Lampard's making the most of it. Obviously, they've had a couple of disappointing results recently, um, but you'd think they can sort of ride that out. And yeah, it's it, it's nice to see. Um, it's surprising to see Chelsea be a quite likable team, <laughs> but it's it's good to see how well those youngsters, um, obviously Mason Mount's another one, they're, they're doing really well. Um, and I hope Abraham. Uh, continues in this sort of vein of form because he's he's a good player to watch. I think that's, that's a good call, Richard. I, I wouldn't go as far as call Chelsea likable, to be honest. <laughs> Having said though, that's a very good point about uh, his loan moves, and it it puts me in mind of the number of loan moves that Harry Kane had before yeah. he established himself in the team. So there's there's a similarity there, I think, in terms of you know if you if you can score, it doesn't matter at what level you're doing it uh, and it, it's just a matter of sort of fitting back into the, the, the scheme of the strategy that your current manager has for you. Yeah, all excellent points to be sure. Uh, now we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, and we are back, Steve. We'll start off with you. Obviously, the last time we spoke was right around the Pochettino departure and Jose Mourinho hire. We're now a little bit into that. Obviously, we mentioned uh, some concerns about the club identity in terms of the brand of football played and if that would be changed. Thus far in his tenure, Tottenham have scored as many goals as anyone else in the league. What have you made of the play style and brand of football under Jose Mourinho thus far? You know, uh, Kevin, it, it feels like, and I said this to a friend of mine um, just today, but it feels like a weight was lifted off the shoulders of the team that was just too heavy for Poch uh, to manage. And I don't know what the, what the internal dynamics are. Uh, obviously, any new manager coming in will, will affect that dynamic within the dressing room. But, but someone like Mourinho, with the reputation that he has, and the track record that he has obviously can can come in and talk to these players um, in in terms of uh, he knows what it takes for them to win. He knows what it takes to get the best out of players that he knows are obviously good enough. This is obviously a squad that that he knew he could use, uh, and he probably knew that when he took the job that there wasn't going to be an awful lot of resources available um, to. Uh, to expand the squad, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we're starting to hear rumors of 
potential uh, pickups that he, he wants to do on the cheap. Well, you know, on the cheap, relatively speaking. Uh, there's talk of him being reunited with Marwan Fellaini, for example. Uh, there's also talk of him going back to Man United for Nemanja Matic. Uh, and that, that would make sense. I, I've heard this. I don't know if you have, but in terms of a potential swap deal for, for Christian Eriksen, uh, obviously it would be Matic plus cash, a consideration for, um, uh, for Eriksen to go the other way. But, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Somebody that as experienced as Mourinho, who knows already what, players he wants to get or what type of players he wants to get and he's he's been around the they've been around the block so many times that he knows exactly the type of player that he can get to fill a particular role so that sort of speculation is bound to continue uh between now and when the transfer window opens but uh i i think generally speaking um as i say this weight has been lifted off the players shoulders they're playing with uh, a freedom and abandon a, a certain sense of uh, a realization that they are good players which i think you, they'd lost sight of a little bit towards the end of the end of Potch's time um obviously you know we will gradually learn the full story of of the timing particularly around uh around the move and and whether whether or not it's true that arsenal were going to move for Mourinho and that sort of forced levy's hand um i think it, as you and I said when we had the, the, the particular podcast to discuss his departure, um, it was probably something that we all knew, no matter what our affection for Potch was at the time, we knew something was inevitable, something had to give, there had to be a shake-up uh, at some point. And, uh, and who better to do it than someone who has a proven track record of, of uh, success? Uh, in terms of the style... You know, the, any anybody who had misgivings about uh, the style that the, the the team would be playing in, I mean, my goodness, did I don't know if you heard uh, uh, whoever the the host on Final Score was last night when he said, you know, if if you're if you're a Spurs fan and your Christmas party is tonight, cancel it so you can stay home and watch match of the day. And certainly, the team were playing yesterday against Burnley with such such freedom such uh abandoned i mean what a crazy game it was it could have been you know four to two four to three at half time for goodness sake um but again that's the sort of uh, enjoyment that the players clearly had at uh at, at playing together which you hadn't you hadn't seen for a long long time and so i think in terms of that influence the, the somebody who who clearly has the credentials to say, I, I know the direction that I want to take this team. I know what the limitations are on the squad that we have, and I know how to work within that. Um, you know, I'm, I was a, I was a big Potch fan, as you know, Kevin, uh, as were you, but uh, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic as we move forward. Yeah, it certainly looked bright thus far, although there was a disappointing Manchester United result, but having seen what they've done since. That one, I think, stings a little bit less. Uh, Deli Ali would be the very easy answer, but aside from him, which players do you think have most benefited under the new tutelage of Jose Mourinho? Well, we were talking about Son earlier, and I think uh, Son has benefited from the fact that Harry's playing a little deeper as well. So, there's, as I said, we were creating more space on either side. We saw it with Mora yesterday as well. Uh, but generally, you know that that front four, that uh, Mora, Son, Ali, and and uh, and Harry Kane combination, uh, 
he he has them clicking now in a way that they did inconsistently with Potch, but when they did, when we did click, it was it was the best thing in the world to watch. I mean, we were just so confident playing with such uh, such freedom, uh, and so I suspect that uh, not every game is going not every game is going to be like yesterday, uh, clearly. But uh, and that's no reflection on Burnley. I mean, I think they they just got us on a on a on a bad day for them, and and they were unlucky. They hit the, the woodwork a couple of times, which would have got them right back into it. It's funny when we went three 0 up. I, I said to my friend Patrick, I mean, it's it, it's time for us to give up two goals now because that's basically what we'd done in the previous two league. <laughs> Most dangerous uh, lead in sports, Tottenham three 0 Hey, when when we have it, that's certainly true. Um, but no, I do think if 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 Jose can sort out the back four, if we can resolve the the internal dynamics of whatever's affecting. The, uh, the players within the dressing room and, and might be sort of inhibiting us that way. I, I think we're, um, we're building a, a good platform to move forward and, uh, and I'm, I'm very happy so far. I, I love to see us play the way we did yesterday. Yeah, again, it was certainly a fun time and, and we'll see how all these players continue to develop. Allegedly, Troy Parrott getting a chance in the match against Bayern Munich midweek, but we will get to that later in match previews. Richard, coming to you now, much less light of a topic. Um, you've been very outspoken in the past against kind of some of the treatment that players like Raheem Sterling and Yaya Torre have have gotten. Um, and now there's a larger uh, scandal with some of the fan base yesterday throwing things at Fred at a corner flag, some uh, video of racist implications, and uh, even outside of the racial issues, uh, a fan mocking the Munich air disaster. Uh, just as somebody that's typically been very outspoken about the, kind of the behavior within fan bases, what did you make of all that yesterday? Well, it was awful. Um, it was, I mean, first of all, on the, the throwing things issue, um, that was, well, th- there's something wrong when people get so, so worked up um, about a football match that, uh, that, they f- that they feel they need to do that. Um, or the throwing things at somebody because they play for a rival team, and our, you know our biggest rival team, and let's have it right, the team that we dislike the most, um, that you think it's okay to throw things at them, um, and then in the weird mindset that occurs in these things, City fans then were giving them more and more abuse because they were walking away from taking the corner. Why wouldn't they? Um, why would they stand there and have their safety endangered doing their job? Um, just to get the game played quicker, or you know, why? It, it, it's really strange to me that people act in that way and then get angry at the consequences of their actions. It's it's pathetic. Um, but that was, you know, that was beyond stupid. And hopefully, um, all of those people will be identified, will be punished appropriately. Which, you know, in the, the first instance, is obviously being banned from entering a stadium again. Um, and then, you know, I think it personally think it would be great if they were uh, sort of made an example of and were sort of, I mean, it basically I'd like them to be embarrassed by their actions um, because they should be. It embarrasses, to, to some extent, it embarrasses the club, although I don't go down the line of thinking it's in any way a reflection on City or of any club where people do that because individuals are individuals and the club can only do so much and the bigger test is 
how they deal with it once it occurs um, because there's only so much you can do to stop somebody behaving in that way if they've decided that they're going to. Um, on the issue of um, allegedly mocking the Munich air disaster and I say allegedly because I've not seen the offence that occurred yesterday but I've been at plenty of derbies where that has happened. Um, again it's brainless, it's senseless, it's pathetic point scoring over something that isn't, um, isn't remotely funny, over something that we should all be above um i would hope that the, the best thing i can say about that is that i would hope it is some sort of misguided um younger person who has just misjudged what is okay to you know what's funny and it's a sign of immaturity um rather than it being you know i mean clearly anybody should know better that isn't to excuse anybody but i'd at least hope that it's something that somebody's going to grow out of rather than it being adults or you know seasoned match goers um who are still behaving like that at a derby that's sort of the, the best case scenario is that it's somebody who will learn from it um, rather than somebody who's acted that way before and will do again uh, and then on to uh, what i would say is that the most serious of the issues um the uh, the racist abuse of from the city fans um although it doesn't matter who does it um but in this instance from the city fans it is extremely concerning that there are people who think that that is an okay way to behave anywhere um but again the, the issue now is is how not just city deal with it but how football as a sport and that includes that is clubs it is governing bodies it is fan bases who need to um, sort of self-police these things. It, it's how everybody reacts to this now. And it's been really heartening to see that, um, certainly on, on my Twitter feed, um, the, the reaction to this has been one of absolute outrage and condemnation. I thought City's statement, although you know, I could have written it myself because it was so predictable because we know what football clubs say when this sort of thing happens. Um, but it was good, it was swift. Um, and, and hopefully any resulting action will be as well. Um, the perpetrator's apparent employer were tweeting yesterday to say that they were aware of, uh, of the video circulating and that they would be investigated and taking appropriate action. So it seems that hopefully this person is going to be made an example of. Um, but it's a huge issue and it's an issue because it's an issue in society. Um, and we're, we're not dealing with it. We have people in positions of power who use alarming language in on sort of all manner of issues but race is um is sort of chief amongst those and they do so without consequence and if anything um a lot of people behaving this way have been rewarded seemingly as a result of these words there's no consequence for saying these things where previously we know that there's always been bigots and there always will be, but there was almost at least a sense of shame on their part, or at least an understanding that actually their views were not mainstream and were not acceptable to be shared in certain environments. And that was, you know, you can educate people all you want, but if, if somebody's going to be bigoted, the best you can hope is that they don't 
um, you know, that they don't abuse people or let that eke out into somewhere where it's it's always going to be unacceptable. Um, and, and the fact that there's a, it seems to me, a rising number of occurrences of this in football stadiums. You know, we've seen some of the problems in, in Italy where it's, it seems it's almost every other week that we're hearing of, of racist abuse of players. We need to not let this become a recurring theme in England, or, or rather, stop it. Um, you know, nip it in the bud, I suppose. Um, what one thing that I wanted to say is that one of the lines that we hear very, very often when things like this occur is people will say, "The person who has done that is not a real football fan," or fans of a certain club so in this case city it's that easy for me to say oh well that person isn't a real city fan and they don't represent the club of course they don't represent the club but that person being a bigger and racially abusing someone doesn't stop them being a city fan and it doesn't stop them being a football fan those two things aren't mutually exclusive and although saying those things is well-intentioned because the people saying that clearly want to distance themselves from those viewpoints and from that behaviour. It's actually an exercise in incredible cognitive dissonance to say that person isn't, doesn't enjoy the same thing as me, because then you remove yourself of the responsibility to deal with it. And you get to say, they are not in on this thing that I am in on. They are other, they are different to me. And actually they're not, they share an interest and they hold these abhorrent views. And if you just distance yourself from it, then you don't have to take any action. And actually what we need to say is, there are football fans in stadiums behaving in this way. What do we do about it? Now, I don't have the answer. Like, I, I think I think a course of education and getting to these things at the sort of root level is better than having a situation where we have to make examples of people who do these things because prevention is always going to be better than cure. But once it happens, you have to be swift in dealing with it. Um, you know, personally, I think that that kind of offence should come with a, a custodial sentence. And I, I, I hope that is what happens to um, to the perpetrator. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's only, there's only so much you can say um, to really get across how, how abhorrent it is that somebody would feel it appropriate to behave in that manner and i also have to say i would say that it's evident from his behavior that he's not a very intelligent person anyway but how thick do you have to be to do that on the front row of what will be one of the most watched <laughs> events in the world this weekend with hundreds of millions of people doing watching that around the world and he's chosen to do it in an exact moment that you could reasonably predict the camera is going to be pointed on your area of the stadium um, so it just speaks further to the, the stupidity of the man. Um, it has to be dealt with. There has to be significant punishment. Um, I think at this stage, there isn't a great history of it at City. It's the first uh, offence of a fan committing something like this, or the first, you know, the first one that we know about that's come out. So I would hope that it's the case of the FA working with the club rather than necessarily punishing the club for this, which I'm sure will be the case. Um, but eventually, if you repeated behaviour, then maybe maybe clubs do have to be punished to sort of set an example and force that self-policing um, because, you know, well, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll talk forever if I don't stop. Um, but 
obviously um it, it comes in my full condemnation yeah obviously a very disappointing moment for football and it sounds like you're certainly disappointed uh in those actors that are unfortunately part of the football community as you said it's very easy to try to distance but it's here in society it's here in, in sports and unfortunately we're nowhere near where we should be yet um, but hopefully things will improve with time and education I, I just wanted to absolutely associate myself with with everything that Richard just said there and and pluck out one thing that resonated with me particularly and this is this notion of no consequences that people believe that that their actions now don't have consequences and i think that's a very worrying thing that we're seeing uh more and more of uh in in all aspects of public discourse um but uh, i i absolutely agree with you i think the the really sad thing about all of this is we know this isn't going to be the last time that we have this conversation so it it, it is incumbent on all of us as football fans to to understand what we in our limited ways can do about it uh, as individuals as as fans as clubs as national teams as fas uh and as governing bodies and and i think um this is something that that football has been wrestling with for a long while and and will continue unfortunately to do so but but needs to do so uh, in a much more um efficient way i think so uh yeah i just i just really wanted to to echo everything that richard said and and he put it very articulately from there we will move on into player watch where we're going to be talking about players that might get a bit more playing time now as we head into the busy winter period. Steve, we'll start off with you and Tottenham. Um, in terms of um, uh, players that I think uh, will we'll get more playing time with... Uh, now, th- this is the interesting thing. Whenever a new manager comes in, there's always this sort of sense that they, you know, they want to see all the players, want to see all the, 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 the peripheral fringe players in your squad. Mourinho is the sort of coach that he already knows who our players are. He, he knows who he wants. He knows who, who he, he thinks he can get more out of. I, what I was very encouraged by yesterday, uh, and I don't know if you saw this on your coverage of the game, uh, Kev, was um, uh, he, he took the match ball from Sonny at the end of the game and he gave mm-hmm. it to Troy uh, who had come on for his Premier League debut and actually making him the youngest uh, youngest player in the in the Premiership this season. Uh, so that was a very encouraging uh, sign, and I hope that he will sort of bring through some of the younger players, Oliver Skip and and Cal Walker Peters, and 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 uh, give them a, a similar sort of opportunity, especially um, as we as we sort of move forward through uh, through some of the Christmas period. Uh, he also, I think, needs to take a look at Lucelso and and Cessignon, get a little bit more uh, more of an exposure to them. But I think really uh, deep down, and you and I have talked about this before, it's it's really finding an optimum partnership in that midfield position. You know, we've got we got Dyer, we got Winks, we got Ndombele, we got Sissoko. I don't think he's actually seen Wanyama uh, perform at any level, but uh, I think it's a matter of uh, as as he evaluates the different partnerships and the different uh, combinations that he can use in in that midfield um, in that midfield uh, position. That I I think we'll we'll get more of a sense uh, after Christmas, uh, and especially as I say, there's this, this this sort of wild card of you know who does he go out and get in the in the Christmas transfer window or the New Year transfer window. But I think uh, it's a matter for him really at the moment to evaluate the partnerships in midfield and see 
uh, see what he's the most he's the most comfortable with at the moment. I mean, obviously he seems to be he seems to be a big fan of Eric Dyer um, because he gives him that uh, that flexibility. Um, but you know, we'll see. I, I think he'll he'll we'll see a lot more of Ndombele as well. I think going forward, but um, uh, that's that's the area that I think we're. Uh, we're sort of most uh, uncertain about going forward. Gotcha. And Richard, getting back to the the footballing aspect of the show, uh, who at City do you think is going to get more minutes? Obviously, Jesus has been the biggest beneficiary of the Aguero injury and has lived up to his name very well. Yeah, he's um, he, he's done all right. He was uh, he was really really good at Burnley, which was um, very very encouraging to see. Uh, two great goals and a really good performance. Um, I, I think the one for, for getting more minutes that we really need to look at now, um, and it's it's probably the obvious name to go for, but it, it, it's got to be Phil Foden. And there's a few reasons for that now, I think. Um, one is, as I said earlier, so I'll, I'll try not to repeat the point too much, but the Premier League would-be title race now comes with more with less pressure than we would have expected it to come with at this point in December, um, which should afford us more chance to 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 start Foden. Basically, he's only he started very very few Premier League games. Um, he does get minutes, uh, and I think sometimes the the clamour for him to play games it comes with a sort of criticism and. Um, it, it hints at the fact that he doesn't get enough minutes, but actually. For a 19-year-old, he, he he's up there compared to anybody else's age playing in the top league. So I'm not too concerned that he's being held back too much, but he now has a chance to play first-team football in reasonably pressure-free environments. It's never going to be fully pressure-free, but um, without the fear that playing a kid who's not that experienced is going to cost us anything, um, it's just not now. Um, one of Pep's regularly stated reasons for holding him back despite calling him the most talented young player that he's ever worked with which I would imagine made a certain Messi's ears prick up but anyway um, despite Pep saying stuff like that he also says quite rightly that at the moment the likes of De Bruyne Silva Gundogan are better players than Foden and of course they are because they've got bags and bags of experience, um, as well as incredible talent. Um, so, of course, they're going to be better than an 18, 19-year-old kid trying to break into that team. But on current form, I don't think you could reasonably say that David Silver is a better um, a better option than Foden now. because And this breaks my heart to say, because you've listened to me for years, um, wax lyrical about David Silver whenever I can, he is... Um, his form has quite severely dropped and that's not to say that I want him completely out of the team or anything like that because of course I don't and it's going to be a sad day at the end of the season um, when he when he wears a City shirt for the last time but it is time to start but, I mean Foden is the heir to his to his position so it's time to start making that change and making that transition rather than keep playing silver and getting these sort of diminishing returns from him when we've got a kid who is anybody can see he's outrageously talented you could see it from the moment that he first stepped onto the pitch with the first team because he's got what um what so few players have and, and to me is one of the first signs that i look for of um of real real quality 
he's got complete composure on the pitch. He's completely at home. Um, and, and when he gets the ball, much like David Silva has always had, it doesn't matter how tight a space he's in, he somehow seems to have all the time in the world. Um, and that's a it's a real mark of potential greatness, that. And there's no doubt that he, that, that um, used properly, he's going to be a central part of, and assuming that he stays, which is, I think he will do being a City fan, but he's going to be a key part of that team for a long, long time to come. Um, and I just hope that we start to see more of him. It's not a clamour for him to start every game. It's not that, um, you know, I think he should have started at weekend or anything like that, but there is now reason to, to, re- to, to give him Premier League starts rather than letting it hit in the summer that we've suddenly not got David Silva. Now Phil Foden needs to suddenly be ready to play 50 games a season. No, put him in now. Um, it'll give the fans something to get behind because everybody loves to, um, a homegrown player and um, particularly one with the that's one of our own uh, to steal a line. Um, I hope to see a lot more of him. He's a, a very, very exciting player and, you know, born and bred City fan. So it'd be, it would lift us from this current dark mood that is uh, dawned on City fans over the weekend. Mm. Speaking of Phil Foden, you have an upcoming match against Dinamo Zagreb in Croatia. Uh, midweek, would you expect him to get a start there? And what else do you think we'll see in that match? Um, I said Kiev earlier, didn't I? Shame on me. Um, yes, I think Foden will will start in that game. Um, like I say, it's a it's a dead rubber. It doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, I would imagine, Ma, you know, we'll see Mares as well. Um, I would really hope to see Eric Garcia. Um, I'd sort of, in a weird way, and this is something you'll Probably never hear me say again, but I would hope to see Claudio Bravo um, because obviously we've already seen what an injury to Edison does and he picked one up in a previous Champions League game and then missed the game at Anfield and Bravo is not an effective standing for for big games or for league games. So I'd rather just reduce the risk of an injury to Edison by giving Bravo this game and I, I do think that Pep will do that. Um Unless he decides to let Kyle Walker reprise his Champions League goalkeeping role, um, which would be fun at least to give me <laughs> a, a, a real reason to watch that game. Of course, I will be watching anyway. Um, and yeah, I think it's it will be a chance to see the City in a pressure-free environment. There's, uh, there's not going to be um, a weak team by any stretch, but in terms of talented youngsters, Foden and Garcia have to have to start this one. Um, because it's different, you know, it's a different con- condition for them to play in. It's always great to get a Champions League game under your belt, I think, for for any young player. Um, but they'll still be playing with, you know, I'd imagine that we're still going to see Jesus. We're still going to see um, probably two of David Silva, Bernardo Silva and De Bruyne. Um, so they get to play with really, really talented players and that's a great way to be bedded in. Um, and a chance, hopefully, for them to prove to Pep that they should be in contention for league games. Um, but in terms of intensity of the game, I, I'm not expecting it to be an overly entertaining affair because these dead rubber Champions League games, I think, rarely, um, rarely tend to be. But it'll be interesting nonetheless to see how they bounce back from the weekend disappointment. Yeah, and then Steve, uh, Tottenham have won against Bayern Munich. They could have been... Very big and important, but turns out not so much as both of us have already clinched our spots in the next round thanks to the makeup of our group. Uh, we've heard from Jose Mourinho that 
uh, when asked if Troy Parrott would start, he said Harry Kane wouldn't. Um, but aside from that, what do you expect for that match? You know, this is the sort of game that Mourinho loves. You know, the pressure's completely off. We can go in. Uh, anything we do that where we don't lose by five goals is, is making amends for the last time. Uh, you know, he came in and he, he basically, we won one Champions League game, which qualified us for the, for the knockout stages. So he was uh, riding a, a wave that Poch had already, had already created there. So, yeah, there's no pressure absolutely on us. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, uh, if Parrott gets a start. Oliver Skip as well, possibly. You never know. Um, I would imagine Sessegnon uh, might feature, even if he doesn't start. Um, it's one of those games where, uh, there, because there's no expectation, uh, Mourinho might well try to, you know, go out and uh, and make a statement um, in this game, given that this is the last sort of time that the European, uh, the other European clubs will see us before uh, February. So uh, I, again, like like uh, City, I don't expect a game of great intensity. Um, I, I can see goals in it, but I certainly don't think. It'll be a, a replay of the of the other the the previous uh, game, which was ridiculous. And as soon as Poch <laughs> was let go and the rumor started in Germany, I was worried that this match would be Poch for yeah. Bayern versus Jose for Tottenham. Fortunately, <laughs> we have dodged that potential fate. Um, but yeah, well, that, that'll that'll come up at some point. I don't know. I don't know in whose dugout Poch will be sitting, but I know that situation will arise at some point. Probably so. Uh, yeah, with the fairly ominous, he hopes to see us soon message. <laughs> it's like, ooh, not sure I'm looking forward to that, but fair enough. <laughs> All right, well, that will do it for us today. Thanks so much to you two for coming on. If you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Uh, I'm Steve McGookin. You can get me on Twitter, at Steve McGookin, or uh, at New York Spurs. You can follow the conversation there. Uh, for my non-football work, uh, go to northernslant.com. Yeah, uh, thank you for listening. Um, I'm uh, on Twitter at Richard the Burns, and I am a member of the Blue Moon podcast, which is a dedicated uh, Manchester City podcast. It is released every Friday. Um, we have again been nominated for a uh, Football Supporters Federation Award for the Best Club Podcast. So, um, if you need a reason to listen to it, hopefully that endorsement is one of them. Um, and we uh, we also have a blog where you can read the thoughts of myself and our host David Mooney for a, a nominal two dollars a month, um, which helps keep us going. Um, and we're on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. And I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. Also, be sure to check out the championship show that goes up weekly on this channel as well. Thanks again to you guys. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. 